Hello, and welcome to the ATS Nursing Assembly's November podcast, focusing on the topic of pulmonary rehabilitation's multidisciplinary approach to improving quality of life. We have the pleasure of learning from Dr. Eileen Collins, an expert in this field. Dr. Eileen Collins is a professor in the College of Nursing at the University of Illinois at Chicago and a research career scientist at the Edward Hines Jr. VA Hospital. She has had multiple publications and grants funded on exercise and breathing retraining interventions in patients with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Dr. Collins is currently the chair-elect for the Nursing Assembly for the ATS. Dr. Collins, it is a pleasure having you with us. What got you interested in pulmonary rehabilitation? Thank you, Nana. It's a pleasure to be here. I originally started out working with patients with heart failure. I worked as a heart failure and transplant clinical nurse specialist for about 10 years. Um, the only metabolic cart that was available to us at that time for testing oxygen uptake, however, was located in the Physical Performance Research Laboratory. At this point, I got interested in the effects of exercise training on patients with heart failure. While working in the Physical Performance Lab, I met Dr. Loggy. Dr. Loggy, Dr. Langbein, and a nurse by the name of Eileen Haggerty had sketched out this breathing retraining computer program. As we were talking about future projects and a project that I could take on, they said that they would welcome it if I could take this one on. So we designed a computer system and a pilot study, and the ventilation feedback program was essentially born. Uh, I studied pulmonary rehabilitation outcomes during the time of my career development award and have been working on it ever since. I then became more involved with the American Thoracic Society and also the American Association for Cardiovascular and Pulmonary Rehabilitation. Great. And could you tell us a little bit about the literature or evidence that has shown what types of patients benefit from pulmonary rehabilitation? Sure. As you know, most of the literature focuses on the effects of pulmonary rehab in patients with moderate to severe COPD. Exercise training, which is the hallmark of pulmonary rehabilitation, although I, I need to mention at this point that pulmonary rehab is not exclusively exercise training. Um, exercise training in patients with COPD improves exercise tolerance, uh, the ability to complete activities of daily living, and it also reduces the perception of dyspnea. It also improves the adverse consequences of dynamic hyperinflation and improves the function of the peripheral muscles. There's very strong evidence that pulmonary rehab improves all of these factors in COPD patients. When you think about interstitial lung disease, these patients also have exercise intolerance as well as severe dyspnea. Since these patients often become hypoxic with exercise and have pulmonary hypertension, they avoid activities that would make them more short of breath or more hypoxic. There have been, however, a couple of trials that have shown short-term benefits of pulmonary rehab in patients with ILD. The results showed that pulmonary rehab resulted in improved functional exercise tolerance, reduced dyspnea, and as well as improved quality of life. These were short-term gains, and the results regarding long-term gains actually are mixed. One study showed no long-term gains, and the other showed some ongoing benefits. Keep in mind, however, that some of these patients can deteriorate rather rapidly due to rapid progression of their disease, so it's really unknown whether the long-term gains may not have been there because of the progression of their disease or whether it was um, simply that we as um, healthcare professionals um, 
failed to emphasize the, the long-term commitment. Also, patients with cystic fibrosis could also benefit from exercise training. Walking can promote sputum movement and bronchial hygiene. However, it's difficult for patients with cystic fibrosis to participate in standard group pulmonary rehab for infection control reasons. Um, like cystic fibrosis, the experience with bronchiectasis has been promising but limited. Exercise capacity is also diminished in patients with pulmonary arterial hypertension. In these patients, activity tolerance is severely limited, and their dyspnea can actually be sometimes quite profound. We collectively um, have been reluctant to enroll these patients in pulmonary rehab due to the potential risk of sudden death during exercise. Now, there have been several trials, however, that have shown that if you keep the exercise intensity at a low to moderate level, you can safely exercise these patients. I also haven't mentioned lung cancer or lung transplantation or even asthma for that matter. Obviously, supervised exercise training can benefit all of these um, patients. So it, just in the, the previous discussion, I primarily focused on the benefits of exercise when you asked me these questions. However, those involved in this type of work know that although exercise training is at the core of what we do, it's not all of what we do. There are educational programs associated with pulmonary rehab. Patients also learn how to correctly use their meter dose inhaler, how to measure their peak flow, and essentially how to live with their disease. Um, they become less anxious to push themselves because they've done it safely in our programs and under our supervision. And I also think they derive great benefits from interacting with each other. So, a long answer to your question, pulmonary rehab is primarily prescribed for patients with COPD, but it can also benefit many other people with chronic lung disease. Great. So, it does sound like pulmonary rehab is, truly does benefit people with a variety of lung diseases. Congratulations on the publication of your position statement last year for the American Association of Cardiovascular and Pulmonary Rehabilitation. I can imagine it was a daunting task to develop competencies across disciplines. Can you describe the process for developing the competencies and any, any difficulties that you encountered along the way? First, um, thank you very much. Uh, we are very happy in the way that the paper turned out. And also, it wasn't as daunting as you might think. I worked with some pretty great pe people on that paper. Um, Linda Nietzsche was the primary author on the previous competency guideline that was published in 2007. She and I worked hand-in-hand -hand on this paper. And also the other people on the paper, Jereen Baldoff, Brian Carlin, Rebecca Crouch, Charles Emery, Chris Garvey, Lana Hilling, Trina Lindbergh, and Dick Zawalek are all experts in the field. And none of them come with an agenda other than making pulmonary rehab the best that it can be for our patients. So there were no turf battles. And truly, it didn't really feel like we were working with such a diverse group of people. We were all focused on the same thing, and that was pulmonary rehab. Now, we did divide and conquer. Once we identified the important areas that needed to be covered, each of us identified our areas of expertise and took those sections. My job as the primary author was to take all those pieces and fit them together as one cohesive whole. I also want to add that we had an additional agenda with this paper. The paper reflects the position statement of AACVPR, or the American Association for Cardiovascular and Pulmonary Rehabilitation. As you know, AACVPR does program certification for cardiac and pulmonary rehab programs throughout the United States. 
Part of the program certification is assessing the competencies of your staff. In addition to that, what was going on in the background was that AACBPR was working on a professional certification exam for professionals working in cardiac rehab. That exam was administered the first time in late 2014. The exam was based on the 2010 competency statement for cardiac rehab published by Larry Hammond co-authors. So when we approached this paper, we approached it with that in mind. We formatted the paper in a similar manner to the cardiac rehab competency statement. Each competency was followed in a tabular format by knowledge, skills, and abilities. Although there is some overlap, we tried to make each competency unique unto itself. We wanted to make this a useful document, but not an overwhelming document. We were also clear to state that we don't expect every person working in pulmonary rehab to have in-depth knowledge, skills, and abilities for everything on this list. For example, if you don't have cystic fibrosis patients in your program, we wouldn't expect that you'd have in-depth knowledge on how to treat them in pulmonary rehab. We would, however, expect that you would know that there are differences in those patients in relation to infection control and secretion clearance, and know to investigate further that those patients, should those patients arrive at your doorstep. I'm also happy to say that AACDPR is looking into professional certification for pulmonary rehab professionals, and our competency paper will actually serve as the basis for that exam. Well, that's quite exciting news. Uh, for listeners who are not very familiar with pulmonary rehab, can you explain who would be included in a multidisciplinary rehab team and each of their roles on that team? Sure. That multidisciplinary team can consist of nurses, physicians, exercise physiologists, physical therapists, respiratory therapists, psychologists, and even possibly pharmacists. The specific roles would vary for the given program. In most programs, nurses or exercise physiologists run the day-to-day -day operations of the program. They may invoke the respiratory therapist for oxygen delivery consultation and perhaps the physical therapist for physical movement consultations. There are programs, however, where the respiratory therapist or the physical therapist runs the program. There is our medical director that's usually a physician, and some programs also do employ psychologists to help patients deal with the anxiety or stigma issues related to dealing with their shortness of breath or perhaps even being on long-term oxygen. All of these professionals contribute to the individual treatment plan as that's developed for each and every patient. Roles in pulmonary rehab may be leading the exercise program for a particular day or giving a presentation on how to use your meter dose inhaler. A respiratory therapist might give a presentation on flying with oxygen when you go on vacation. There are many other concerns such as depression and sexual dysfunction. Others may be called in to help with these educational or counseling sessions. So the roles are really quite diverse. Um, as you know, I'm a nurse, and when people ask me to identify my profession, that's why I say I'm a nurse. However, when I got into pulmonary rehab, I found a need to expand my knowledge base in exercise physiology. So I returned to school when I started this adventure and got a master's degree in exercise physiology. And I think there are a number of people I find in cardiac and pulmonary rehab that have these combined areas of expertise. They may start as a nurse and get a master's degree in exercise physiology, or they may start in exercise physiology and become a nurse. 
And some of the skills overlap, but I think the combination of the two are actually ideal for this type of setting. I agree. It really, really seems to be a cross-discipline approach. So in your position statement, you describe a number of competencies. Can you tell us a little bit about the competency related to collaborative self-management and how important this is in pulmonary rehab? So the collaborative self-management competency is actually a very loaded competency. Under that competency, we included things like behavior change, self-efficacy, managing COPD exacerbations, adherence to home exercise, as well as adherence to medications, and also having those end-of-life discussions. So it is quite loaded. Many of our patients have COPD and develop COPD as a direct result of cigarette smoking. We also have some patients who are quite slim, but more and more of our patients are overweight, and they are almost all quite sedentary. Changing these habits requires behavior change, and it also requires confidence in yourself. Many of our patients develop these bad habits over a lifetime, and now we're looking to change them in a matter of 12 weeks or so. So managing these types of changes requires collaboration with the rehab staff as well as the patients. So we try and help patients set goals and keep these goals. Oftentimes goals that we set for ourselves may be overambitious, and as pulmonary rehab professionals, we can help patients set realistic incremental goals. Likewise, Dealing with exacerbations is an ongoing problem in these patients. In our area, we've just gotten our first real taste of winter, even though winter hasn't really officially begun yet. During this time, our patients frequently get exacerbations. Most patients with COPD will have one or two exacerbations each year. So we need to work with our patients and teach them how to manage these exacerbations. We need to work with them to help them make smart decisions on when to call for help. When's the right time to call your health care provider? If you have a runny nose and you're producing clear mucus, it's probably okay to engage in a couple of days of watchful waiting. However, if that sputum turns bright green or yellow and you're getting worse instead of better, it's probably time to call your provider. Many of our patients have antibiotic prescriptions at home, and we need to work with them so that they know when the right time is for starting to take the antibiotics if they're needed. We all know that most people get sick on the weekends, or at least that's the time we choose to address these problems if we get sick. And many of our patients are the same. Uh, many of our patients are also elderly and may have difficulty managing their medications. So we can work with them on developing a system. A system might be a seven-day toolbox for some. For others, it might require linking medication administration to events of the day. For example, use your long-acting controller inhaler when you have your morning tea or coffee. Lastly, we need to help our patients plan for end-of-life care if they want that information. We need to bring these, in my opinion, bring these topics up to patients because often they're not going to approach us about them, but many of them want to talk about these issues. So if they want the information, that's terrific, and if they don't, um, that's okay too. So it's a long answer as to what is collaborative self-management. Um, it, it includes quite a bit. Yeah, I think that's, um, that's a really key key component and something great to include as a competency. I see that your team also incorporated psychosocial management into these competencies. Uh, why is that important? 
So many of our patients' lives are affected by chronic respiratory disease. So many of our patients don't socialize with their friends because they wear oxygen all the time. Others get anxious when they can't catch their breath, so they don't want to leave the house. And as you know, nicotine also might have some anti-anxiety properties to it. So when we encourage patients to stop smoking, we take that away. So we need to help patients manage that. Long periods of being hypoxic, which many of our patients have experienced, can lead to some cognitive deficits as well. Also, some of our patients are of the age where cognitive deficits can occur more frequently. During this time that they have with us, we can help them manage these things. Some programs are lucky in that they have a dedicated psychologist or social worker to help with these issues. Most, however, don't have that luxury. And I do have to say that I've seen nurses and exercise physiologists work with our pulmonary rehab patients beautifully in helping manage these psychosocial issues. Great. Yeah, I think we're really still the tip of the iceberg when it comes to recognizing the importance of social and, and peer support when it comes to managing chronic disease. So are there other competencies in the guidelines or any part of the work associated with developing the guidelines that you'd like to highlight during this podcast? I guess that I'd like to talk just for a minute about dyspnea management. Being short of breath can be a pretty terrifying experience for anyone. During exercise training, we can teach patients how to manage their shortness of breath, and that's part of the beauty of pulmonary rehabilitation. We can teach them how to slow their breathing and slowly exhale. Um, some of our patients naturally adopt pursless breathing, and others don't. So we can teach the techniques to patients who, who don't adopt this technique naturally. They don't need to use it all the time, but it might come in handy, for example, when they're walking up a flight of stairs or when they're carrying groceries into the house to just keep control over that breathing so they don't become anxious and it doesn't get out of their control. If they can catch their breath while they're with us under supervision, they're more likely to push a little harder when they're at home and knowing that they'll be able to control their breathing. So it's been almost two years since the publication. What has the response been? The response has been very positive. AACBPR, for one thing, is moving forward with developing certification for pulmonary rehab professionals. It's not quite clear what form that credential will be right now, but they are moving forward exploring different options. And I think this is a huge step and a very positive step for those who are involved in pulmonary rehab. Great. I think this is very exciting. And your work has focused on interventions to increase exercise tolerance and using breathing retraining combined with exercise to reduce perceptions of dyspnea. Can you talk a little bit about what the, in your opinion, what the most exciting developments are in those areas right now? Sure. I think the most exciting part of our work in breathing retraining is the realization that it does indeed work. We found that if we can get patients to slow their breathing down and control it by extending their exhalation just a little bit, we can reduce dynamic hyperinflation and thus extend their exercise tolerance. When patients have less air trapping during exercise, or what we call dynamic hyperinflation, they're less short of breath. So we've been able to demonstrate this with our ventilation feedback computerized breathing program. The system that we have, however, right now is still a bit cumbersome and very expensive to operate. 
So I think the challenge to us is to take what we now know that works and figure out a way to deliver that intervention to the patient without this cumbersome system and in a cost-effective manner. Well, that does sound like a challenge, and we look forward to hearing about the incorporation of more technological innovations in pulmonary rehab. Um, you, you also you, you work with the veteran population at the at the Heinz VA. Can you talk a little bit about what you feel is is especially interesting or or maybe challenging working with the veteran population? I actually find working with our veterans to be a lot of fun and quite rewarding. They generally like to participate in research because they have this feeling that they want to give back. There's something about being in the military that makes them want to give back to their fellow veterans. They also tend to be very down to earth people and like to laugh when you're working with them. Um, they've given so much to their country and I really feel privileged that I have the opportunity to give back to them. I found it really interesting last year when the movie American Sniper came out. Uh, there were more discussions in our pulmonary rehab lab about dealing with PTSD during those first couple of months than I've ever seen in my 30 years at the VA. Um, talk about psychosocial management. Because they were all veterans in that room together exercising, it really was a safe place to talk about things that were bothering them. I always found with my kids that they would open up to me about things in their lives when we were driving in the car. Um, for some reason, being focused on something else sort of gives them that safe place to open up. And the same thing happened for our, for our veterans to a great extent during this time. Exercising with their fellow veterans gave them the opportunity to talk about the movie and their own experiences in PTSD um, all the time while exercising and gaining benefits from pulmonary rehabilitation. In terms of challenges, I don't really consider uh, working with veterans particularly challenging. Um, to be perfectly honest, it's, it's what I know. Um, Right now, what I find most challenging is working in a system that I find to be a very good system that provides excellent care to veterans and, and watching it to a certain degree get pummeled by the news media um, in the press. I guess what I'd like to end with is just saying it's been a true privilege for me to work with the veterans that have served our country so well. Great. I know that has been difficult for folks across the country to to tune into that. And what do you think are the next steps for pulmonary rehabilitation? Well, we all know that cost is a major issue. And in that regard, I think that we need to be creative in how our programs move forward. We need to create the evidence base for pulmonary rehab in populations other than just patients with COPD. Um, targeting pulmonary rehab to patients with COPD is important, but we need to expand that. We also need to figure out ways to help our patients make those behavior changes so that the gains that they make during pulmonary rehab are sustainable. And I lastly, I think we need to think outside of the box into, two models, into different models of care that perhaps we haven't thought about in the past. Great. Well, it's been a privilege to hear from you and your experience and your contribution to pulmonary rehab, and we look forward to hearing more in the future. Thanks for having me, Nina. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So you have just heard from Dr. Eileen Collins, professor in the College of Nursing at the University of Illinois at Chicago and research career scientist at the Edward Hines Jr. VA Hospital. 
Thank you, Dr. Collins, for that comprehensive introduction into pulmonary rehab's multidisciplinary approach to improving patients' quality of life. If there are any questions or comments related to this podcast, or if you would like to make suggestions for future topics, please contact the Nursing Assembly at nursingathoracic.org. This is Nina Bracken and Dr. Eileen Collins signing off.